Welcome back to the Our View podcast. This episode is part of our Mental Health Monday series. These episodes will highlight topics related to mental health. The episodes will sometimes share the stories of those who have been medically diagnosed with mental health disorders, and other episodes in the series will share interviews with mental health professionals who will provide an overview of the different types of mental health diagnoses and their treatment options. These episodes are intended to be informational and educational only. It is not medical advice, and any information within these episodes is not intended to diagnose. We encourage you to always seek the guidance of your medical physician or clinician for any decisions regarding your medical needs and conditions. On today's episode of the Our View podcast, I welcome my guest, Dr. Owen Muir. Join our conversation as we discuss clinical depression. So now I would like to officially welcome Owen Muir to the Our View podcast. Uh, this is the first episode of our Mental Health Monday series, where we will be highlighting um, topics related to mental health. So on this episode, uh, Owen and I will cover the topic of depression. And uh, Owen, can you just uh, explain to um Explain to our listeners who you are and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and, and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Uh, my name is Owen Muir, MD. I am a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Um, I received my medical degree from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, home of the biopsychosocial model of medicine, which should be used everywhere, not just psychiatry. Um, I did my adult residency training at the Zucker Hillside Hospital, part of the Northwell Health System out in Long Island, and then uh, did child psychiatry fellowship at the NYU Bellevue program, which is uh, the Navy SEALs of child psychiatry. And then I co-founded Brooklyn Minds with Carlene McMillan, who is uh, also my wife and the other best psychiatrist I know. Um, but I come to this not just as the hair club president, but also as a member, I have bipolar disorder. And part of that is having experienced depression in my life uh, in ways that sucked. Um, yeah. However, you know, they really did a very good job of letting me understand what my patients were going through. And it's a little bit of a cheat code because, uh, you know, I kind of have the secret manual uh, for like what it's like. And so the right. questions I'm able to ask um, are a little bit more effortless than, than the effort that goes into kind of learning the ins and outs of the experience of someone with OCD, for example, which I deal with all the time, but don't personally have the experience of. Mm hmm. Wow, that's uh, great! I love the uh, the, uh, the the best the, the other best psych, uh, psychiatrist you know is your wife. That's great. <laughs> I got really lucky. <laughs> that was really great. Made me laugh. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you for uh, uh, connecting with me. Uh, you and I we connected through the uh, new Clubhouse app, and um, you know we were in rooms together, and and I uh, reached out to you, and you were gracious enough to agree to uh, do this episode uh, with me. So uh, again, this uh, topic we're covering now is um, for depression. So can you explain uh, what clinical depression is and how is, how is it uh, diagnosed? Sure. 
Uh, I want to start out by saying not all feeling bad is depression, and not all depression is feeling bad. Um, oh, that's good. That's really good. There are many ways to be miserable, and some of them you can have happen all at once. When I think about major depressive disorder, which is a defined clinical entity, I start out with a good dose of uncertainty. One of my patients did a remarkable job of creating the kind of example of the, what I'm talking about. As an art project, he took the 764 ways you can combine the criteria for depression and still get major depressive disorder. And he made uh, an algorithm that created each of them as their own separate diagnosis in DSM format, and then printed an eight volume set called the DSM-5 Exhaustive Edition, The Major Depressive Disorders, Volumes 1 through 8. And he was kind enough to give me Volume 6 after it won the APA Art Show second prize. And what I thought was so important about that is it highlighted how arbitrary our approach has been. And uh, major depressive disorder, which you'd think psychiatrists would agree on, actually has the worst, what we call, inter-rater reliability, aka two expert research psychiatrists seeing the same person on the same day, they will agree only slightly more often than chance as to whether that person meets criteria for major depressive disorder. Wow. 56% of the time they'll be on the, on the money. So it's the least reliable in terms of inter-rater reliability diagnosis in the whole book. Yeah. So, and yet, it's still definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not all yeah. things that are true are in the book. Not all things that are in the book are true. Are true. <laughs> and so is this a helpful diagnosis? I don't really like the word label, but is, is the label we have for this helpful? And I'd say at this point, you know, yeah, to a point. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's really important. Most people who come to see me, and if I have to hear one more health tech startup talk about depression anxiety in that kind of one word no pause kind of way um and just totally not acknowledge there's any other suffering in the human condition that might come their way i'm gonna lose it yeah <laughs> so mostly what happens depression is a way people can say i feel bad and go see a psychiatrist and if the psychiatrist is savvy they might actually get an explanation for what's really going on and if they're not they're going to get a prescription for a medicine and probably suffer for many years with something that isn't accurate or is incomplete or doesn't offer any understanding mm -hmm. of what might be going on. That having been said, major depressive disorder, to like answer your question, what is it? Uh, it is a mood disorder, which means it's episodic. It's there sometimes and not others. How long that is can vary, and some people can have it for many, many years. But the, the idea is this is a difference in your mood and you meet uh, the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for the Diagnosis of Mental Disorders, which is the major product of the American Psychiatric Association and decided on by a bunch of uh, politicians, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, they, have, they have every disorder kind of in the same format. There's A criteria, which you have to have, B criteria, which you have to have some number of, and it has to cause clinically significant impairment, which is C, and then D, it can't be better explained by other stuff. And in the case of major depressive disorder, and this is what I meant by not all 
feeling you know bad is depression and all depression is feeling bad. For the A criteria, you can have either depressed mood or there's a word from the Greek helpfully put in to make sure no one understands what they're reading, uh, anhedonia, the inability to experience pleasure. Take hedonist, hedon, right. and put not an in front of it, anhedonia. And you can have either depressed mood or anhedonia or both as the A criteria for major depressive disorder. So there's some people who are suffering from it who aren't depressed. And so what, you know, what most psychiatrists do is they learn the checklist, Siggy caps, uh, <laughs> seriously. Um, so it, is there disturbed sleep, insomnia? Sometimes it's early insomnia, falling asleep. Sometimes it's waking up early, restless throughout the night. Um, is it a decreased interest, AKA anhedonia and things that would normally be fun or pleasurable? Uh, do they feel guilty or worthless? Do they have low energy? Do they have, um, a poor concentration? Is their appetite either increased or decreased by a significant amount? Has there been weight gain or weight loss that people didn't plan on? And, uh, finally, are there thoughts of death, dying, or suicide? And those are the criteria for major depressive disorder and put them together 764 ways. It's still depression. And <laughs> just because you have that major depressive episode doesn't mean you have major depressive disorder because that can come with bipolar disorder. It can come with major depressive disorder. It can come with other things as well. But that's what an episode of depression is defined as somewhat arbitrarily based on a checklist someone made and they decided was good enough before DSM-3. And uh, that's how we do it now, which turns out to be highly unreliable. Right. <laughs> because it, it, it goes back to what you said that, you know, it doesn't always look sad. It doesn't always look, you know, like I've, I've been in bed and, and there are many people who uh, experience this and they still go out, they go to work and they still, uh, you know, go, go do things with their family and friends and their kids and, it's, Let's um, say you're one of the 10-year-olds at Bellevue I worked with who's black. For him, it looked like anger and aggression, and he was brought into the emergency room for that, right? Right. Let's say you're you know, old. It can look like dementia. It can mm -hmm. actually impact your brain to the point you're demented. For some people, it can be just catatonic impairment, and some people can go through the day and look just fine until they're dead by suicide. Right, and it's just, it's really every, I, I say it all the time, even about with, uh, with my physical disability of having spina bifida, that every person is different. And it really looks, it, it can really span the, the spectrum of, like you said, from anger to looking like it's dementia to someone that doesn't get out of bed for, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. So I, I think it's very, um, very important that we are discussing this and, and bringing it up. So you, you mentioned, um, part of the criteria, the A, B, and C, and um, is there a certain time length that these uh, symptoms have to be uh, shown uh, or? Two weeks is the answer. Okay. Reasons. So it's two weeks um, and in bipolar disorder or any length of time of hospitalization is necessary. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, and can you just talk about a little bit about what treatment options are available? I know you're a uh, psychiatrist and uh, you can prescribe medicines and, and 
all of that. So uh, can you just talk about some of the treatment options available for uh, major depression, depressive disorder? <laughs> I, I will. Um, first, I'm going to talk a little bit about the problems with the data we have to determine what those are. Yes. Just so people understand it because it's really important. Mm -hmm. um, when we're getting a drug approved for depression, this is actually a conversation I had with my friend who was working in drug development at Pfizer for many years on the brain side. And he was angry. He said, look, psychiatry abdicated its responsibility to cure anybody when we invented SSRIs. Because the benchmark for getting a, an antidepressant medication approved by the FDA became a 50% reduction in symptoms. Do you want to feel 50% less depressed or would you rather your depression be over? Hmm. Wow. Because every drug we have is approved based on 50% less miserable, not better, not well. Wow. Furthermore, most people or many people are started on an SSRI if they're suicidal, which can often come with depression. And we have close to no studies on medication for suicidal people with depression. So if you're suicidal and you're prescribed Lexapro, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Luvav, blah, 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 that drug has never been in a study where they admitted people to the study who are suicidal. So it's almost like it's a giant uncontrolled experiment on every suicidal person we give that medicine to. Wow. Now there are good reasons for that, but it's worth knowing like we have no data essentially on those medications in people who are suicidal until very recently when Janssen got the indication, God bless them, for esketamine for major depressive disorder with suicidal ideation that we did a study specifically on suicidal depressed people. And so it's a little bit like we only ever studied not bad cancer or hypertension that was really mild or whatever it is, just pick, mm -hmm. your, pick your disorder. Um, you know, it, you, yeah, you, they, it hurts, but not too bad. Well, let's study every pain medication and people who are like a three on the pain scale. Right. Wow. And that's that is, what we did. Yeah. So, so there are treatment options and they have varying degrees of evidence. The problem is like the same time we decided we'd do that with medicine, we decided, why don't we do the same thing with therapy? So let's test it really short term, eight weeks, cognitive behavioral therapy is time limited. Great. Can we get a 50% reduction in symptoms there too? Mm -hmm. And they got all the study participants from the people who live on the island of one problem. I've never been there. I hear it's very nice because they only all have one problem. <laughs> But like nobody who comes and sees me has one problem. Right. It's depression and OCD and ADHD and an eating disorder and maybe a history of self-injury. Maybe it's a personality disorder. Maybe it's not. We'll find out. Blah, blah, blah. It's this whole like array of problems, which is a word I like better than mental health issues or mental illness. I think problems kind of sums up how people see it. Mm -hmm. um, and is, I think, more consistent with how I understand it. Like, well, what problems do you have? Because, right. you know, they might be I'm um, homeless or they might be, you know, I can't keep down a job or whatever. And there's probably something going on in your brain buried in with those things. But what you understand as a problem might not be depression, especially if, as I mentioned before, you're not even depressed. Right. 
yeah, I'm not depressed. I just don't want to do anything. I'm gonna, I think I'm bored with my job. Yeah, that's uh, it is. It's very complicated to uh, to to figure it all out. And like you said, problems. I you know we all have different problems, and it's uh, yeah, you know that is a a good way to uh, to think about it and to address it. Which is not to say for some people these things don't work very well. Mm -hmm. They do. And it's not to say you shouldn't treat depression or shouldn't try to evaluate it and figure out what's going on. But you should have an understanding that in studies where not so sick people are the only people in the study who've never been exposed to any antidepressant before, and you give them first one antidepressant, the chance of remission of your depression, having it be over, is 30% with that first drug eight weeks later. And the chance of remission with the second drug, if you don't get remission with the first, is 10%. And the chance of remission with the third drug you try is 10%. And the chance of remission you have with the fourth drug you have is 10%. And so two years and four drug trials later, you have a 50% chance of your depression being over. Wow. That's from our largest study on depression treatment alternatives called STAR-D, Sequence Treatment Alternatives to Relieve Depression. Yeah. Thank you for that great explanation because it's, um, you know, a lot of times you think it's, it's um, an easy fix uh, sometimes. I wish. And it's, yeah. And it's just, <laughs> that's my least of my concern. Yeah. And it really, it really isn't. It's just, um, but you have to consider that, that type of um, scenario where it's not just a person coming to you, like you said, with just one problem. It's, you know, it's not just I've been in bed for a couple of weeks or I've been feeling sad for a couple of weeks. It's piled on a bunch of other, other problems on top of that. So you have there, to- There's, there are that. two ways when you're, when you're, you're saying that, just, there's something in there. When someone mm -hmm. asks you, like, you know, what's wrong, question mark, it, it matters if they follow up with, are you feeling feelings of guilt or worthlessness? How about poor energy check? Do you have trouble concentrating? Check. You have depression, right? Or they could say, "Why? Help me understand what's wrong." Yeah, it's a different conversation. Two two different conversations, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you need to have both, practically speaking. But mm -hmm. I think the first conversation is best had embedded in the mind of the person doing the evaluation, while they're asking the second question and listening. But those are the those are the, the the basic like the oral medications. That's what we got. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, well, eh, eh. psychotherapy is awesome. Uh, psychotherapy is awesome for a bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons it's awesome is it works and has sustained effect. And there are a bunch of options that are evidence-based treatments for major depressive disorder, and some that work for that and other things as well. And so you have everything from dynamic, you know, psychodynamic therapy. Uh, psychoanalysis, which I'm not a huge fan of, um, uh, but we have uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for depression, interpersonal therapy, IPT. Uh, we have IPSRT, if you have bipolar depression, interpersonal social rhythms therapy, a lot of acronyms. They're mm -hmm. mostly three letters. Every once in a while, you'll get to more, and that's <laughs> when you know you've got something real different, right? We yeah. got more than three letters in your therapy acronym. <laughs> so we have psychotherapy, and we have what we call somatic interventions, interventions on your body. And those include the gold standard electroconvulsive therapy, which is tremendously effective for severe depression, transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS, which has some related uh, variants, including 
deep transcranial magnetic stimulation or DTMS, accelerated intermittent theta burst stimulation, uh, or AITBS, aka SAINT, great branding, Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Treatment. We have ketamine, esketamine, studying other things currently like psilocybin and other psychedelics. There are other treatments than just the pills. Mm -hmm. and you should understand what your options are from your psychiatrist if you're going to see them. And if you do not understand that you have options, they have not done their job. Perfectly said. Yes, there are always options. There are always more than one option. Um, and every everything is not for everybody. That's the, uh, I think that's a, a key thing to, to mention. So what, what you heard works for your friend or your relative that has depression. Uh, may not work for you. So uh, you know, as Owen just said, you have to get your, uh, you know, get your, your doctor to uh, figure out the best treatment plan that is, um, you know, for you. And of course, this, uh, this episode is, is strictly about providing information for everybody. We're not, you know, just because you heard something that may apply to you does not mean we're not at all diagnosing you in any kind of way. So this is this is not medical advice. No, speak to your physician or, or clinician for any decisions regarding a medical condition. So uh, is there anything else that you would like to add uh, to this? Yeah, uh, to this? Yes, I, I think it's important to understand that there's an experience people have with depression and how that colors their life, whether they're depressed or not. And when people have had depression, first off, often they've been very disappointed because they'll come in for what they hope is an easy fix and it's not. And the medicine doesn't work as well as they'd hoped or they're still suffering or, or whatever. And you just learn to not trust help. Um, when that help is involuntary hospitalization, that can be really, you know, potentially harmful. The completed suicide rate after discharge from the hospital for depression is 2,000% higher than it is for the general population and remains 30,000% higher for the rest of your life. So it's not that people trip and fall into a hospital, right? Mm -hmm. But if the hospitals were helpful, those numbers would go the other way. Turns out the locks on the doors empirically are almost unimportant. The rate of running away from the hospital, we call elopement, is the same whether there are locks on the doors or not. And the rate of completed suicide is higher for people who've been in locked settings. So the locks on the door are for the peace of mind of the psychiatrist not to keep the patients in. Wow, those numbers, that that's really wild yeah. to think about. Right. Well, yeah. we're thinking about like, can I stop you from killing yourself now? And that's important. Mm -hmm. But I really wanna know if you're not gonna kill yourself for a while longer. Because stopping right. you on Tuesday and you do it on Friday doesn't do the world much good. Right. And it's not really doing you any favors. And I think we don't have a system that's designed to actually take care of people in the outpatient setting. Yeah, and so to extend that- Take it seriously. Yeah, extend that care beyond the uh, hospital stay. Yeah, yeah that's, the, uh, that's a key thing. It, well, I mean, insanely level, like, would you rather go to the hospital involuntarily and sit in an ER all night and not get any sleep or have someone come over with pizza and talk to you about how you're doing? Mm. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, that's really um, very eye-opening for me because that's, I, I had two, two great visualizations when you said that. 
what would it be like yeah. if the person who came over with pizza was an EMT? And he could also give you a dose of esketamine, which could work in the first dose to relieve your symptoms. Mm -hmm. If you're acutely suicidal, if the first line intervention was pizza and esketamine and a conversation. <laughs> it's cheaper too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I did. I just got two great visualizations of that, of, you know, which one, yeah, it's definitely at home and, and just <laughs> chilling out. And <laughs> It's not a hard question, yeah, right? We right. want to feel less lonely and supported in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And then we want to be out of that crisis. Yeah, yeah, figuring out how to get out of that crisis is the, the big thing for sure. Wow. And, and to, to make you even more frustrated, just so you know, what if I were to tell you there's a treatment we have evidence for, randomized controlled trial evidence for, that can get people to remission of their depression in five days, even if they've failed on average 13 medications 80% of the time. Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Treatment, or SAINT, aka AITBS, and I do it all the time. Five this days. is, yeah, this is the... Um... This is the kind of information we need to uh, talk about and get out to uh, the larger uh, population of people because a lot of people, especially after, I know everybody says it all the time, but especially after this last year of, you know, being in the house all the time and being away from family and friends. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it's been rough for, uh, for a lot of people. So it, um, it has, yeah. that's important to recognize. It really has been as rough as you think it is. Mm -hmm. And also sitting around thinking about killing yourself all the time isn't normative. Right. You should feel shitty, but there's a difference between feeling shitty and being depressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, yeah. So thank you again for this. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this. Uh, great information uh, that you provided and uh, you will all be hearing from Owen again. Uh, we are recording another episode for uh, another topic. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you Owen for this time and uh, I appreciate you and I will be talking to you soon. <laughs> thank you so much. All right.